Hi, I'm Charles Feldman. And my name is Ela Edgar. And we're here for... Trust on Purpose. What are we talking about today, Charles? <laughs> oh, we are on our fourth conversation about the enemies of trust, and we're specifically talking about the enemies of trust in the domain of sincerity. And of course, sincerity is that domain of trust in which we assess that the other person is sincere. That is, they're honest and they act with integrity. They tell the truth and they walk their talk. And you'd think, well, what enemies could there be in this domain unless the person just really is morally deficient and doesn't care about being honest, doesn't care about walking their talk? How can we otherwise make mistakes in this domain? But I think between the two of us, we can come up with a number of ways in which we can, not only we, but people we coach and people we know, can do and say things that can damage trust in this domain, the enemies of trust. So let's jump in with a relatively simple one, which I know I've done, and I know many leaders who have done. I talk about it as failing to update. So in other words, changing your mind about a decision or direction without letting everyone concerned know that you've changed your mind and why. So some people are often running in one direction based on what you've said, but then you change your mind and a new bunch of people is often running in a different direction based on what you said next or subsequently. And eventually they're going to come back and talk to each other. They're going to rush into the fact that they're both heading in different directions and at cross purposes, perhaps. And what's going to happen? Oh my God, I'm already like, what the heck? What do you mean that's what you're doing? You can imagine, because at some point, whether it's virtually or in person, somebody's going to say something and they're going to go, what are you talking about? And it's going to cause this mass confusion. How did this happen? When did this happen? And why the hell do I not know about it? Yeah. And so, hey, I can't trust Charles. He told me this is what we were going to do. And now you're telling me that he told you we're going to do something else. Oh, okay. So immediately my itty bitty shitty committee has dialed up to say, oh, that Charles doesn't value me. So he withheld this information on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that coming up for people. Right. I imagine it has when I've done that before. Yeah. And I remember, again, when I was working in an organization, actually much more recently, I've had it happen when I was on the board of directors of our local art museum in the town where I live and was serving actually as president of the board and did exactly this at some point and caused exactly what you just described. People were kind of going, okay, I can't trust this guy or can I trust this guy? I don't know. A lot of confusion and then some hurt feelings, I think. Fortunately, somebody pointed this out to me before it got really bad or blew way out of proportion. And I was able to go back and fix it, but it's a lot of wasted time and energy. So I'm actually realizing in this moment that I just did that about an hour ago. Oh, <laughs> I was forward-looking into my calendar, realizing I have a conflict, and I canceled something, and I haven't given the two people that I've canceled on any context as to why or how or what's going on. I've just canceled. 
Yeah. And so I can imagine both of them, I mean, I work with them regularly. We're in communication regularly. I am going to make the generous assumption that they know I will tell them that this is an intentional, but I may have unintentionally caused some spin for both of them to go, what the hell's going on? Yeah. And you do that once or twice. It's not the end of the world. But if you do that multiple times to the same people or same person or group of people, then trust is going to really begin to erode. So this is one of those where failing to update people, yeah, okay, we're all moving fast. We're all trying to get multiple things done in different directions with different people, different priorities. And if we fall into this trap and we get taken by this enemy of trust multiple times, we are in fact going to begin to find that people don't trust us. They don't feel like they can trust that we're honest or that we're really walking our talk in this situation or these situations. So yeah, it's an important one to keep in mind, mm -hmm. as I've learned over and over again. Hopefully, though, fewer times than as someone who studied this <laughs> and learned about it than I would have had I not had any understanding of this. Yeah. Update. And I'm making a note right now to make sure that as soon as you and I end the recording, I'm sending a quick note to say, here's why. Thank you for being patient with me. <laughs> there is a reason. Do we need to stop the recording right now? And you can go do it for a moment. <laughs> and <then we> can... <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So the second one, our conversation before the conversation, we had already talked about this second one a little bit and not being clear about priorities. Whew. In a world of fast and faster, changing priorities, all sorts of things shifting and pivoting all the time. I think, you know, and I referenced a conversation that I was just in this morning, but I would say even across the last couple of months, how many leaders and organizations are really struggling because it feels like there's spaghetti being thrown up against the wall and we'll see what sticks and that's our priority, which depending on the brand of spaghetti, maybe nothing sticks. So this conversation this morning is definitely in an organization that has a lot of things changing and a lot of things shifting. And the leader that spoke up this morning just said that it feels like I'm reprioritizing every single day. And I don't know what I'm prioritizing to because there doesn't feel like there's a bigger strategy. Yeah. And how, like... I say that out loud. That's exhausting and depleting and demotivating. And I don't know, there's a whole bunch of other words in my head. Yeah. And so that's the point where we need to have conversations. Even as a leader, if I'm not clear what the priorities are coming down from above me, and I'm working with a team, so I'm not given priorities, I need to have a conversation with, of course, my leadership and really try and see what I can get from them. But also, I need to be in communication with the people I'm leading and helping them understand that, yeah, this is our priority right now. This is where we're going now. And that may change. And if and when it does, I will let you know as soon as I possibly can. And if it changes, that's the way it is. But for now, let's really be full on in this direction. A friend and colleague of mine, Lisa Marshall, she talks a lot about stories. So the stories we tell and live in when we work together. And she says that often within 
an organization, of course, they're often a large organization anyway. There are different divisions. And she was working with the leadership of one particular division. And the, the larger organization had seemed to have lost its story. She said, well, in the absence of a good story from your leadership, it's incumbent on you to make one up that is compelling for you and for the people you're leading. That's compelling, that matches as best possible the reality around you. And so that's kind of like this is in some small way, we can be not clear about our priorities. And what we can do is keep in mind when we talk, we're creating expectations in our listener's mind. Mm -hmm. And so if we say this is the priority and then it changes, we're in a position where we're going to create distrust. That's obvious. But yet somehow we often fall into that trap. So one thing is to manage expectations, manage the expectations around what we say. Be clear and thoughtful about what we're going to say, because mm -hmm. especially as leaders, people are listening to us. They're watching and listening to us very carefully because they want to be good followers. And if we're constantly changing <laughs> the priorities, that's going to be problematic because that means the expectations are always changing. So be clear about what expectations we're creating in the listener. It was interesting this morning with this particular client that they were struggling with how to have a conversation upwards mm. about the unclear priorities. And the upwards was basically at the CEO level. Mm. And that felt tricky and vulnerable. And so it was really interesting to listen. And I haven't met or interacted with this particular CEO, but I can imagine that he probably doesn't know that that's the impact he's having. Right. And that he's trying to navigate the ever-changing world of the industry that they are in and not realizing that that feeling or sense of unclear priorities is really causing this struggle below. And I have to say, that's one of the things that leaders need to be able to do to be able to be clear as possible about the priorities that they're setting for their organization. And so if they're struggling with that, they need to find some help in some way. And then they need to get behind decisions, get behind decisions that they need to make and stick to them. Unless they get new data in, and then they have to be able to be flexible also and say, okay, it looks like things have changed. Now we need to go in a little bit different direction. Mm -hmm. But basically, to avoid this, not being clear about priorities and generating distrust as a result of that. If you'd like to see something happen, but you're not committed to it, doing it yourself, you, know, you might support it, but you're not committed to, you don't have the time, you don't have the energy, you don't have the resources, whatever. It's a someone, somehow, sometime kind of thing. But it's not me, it's not now. And so make it clear. On the other hand, if it is a priority, make it clear that this is a priority for me and I'm going to take action to make it happen. A client of mine was working in a company where a new CEO came on. Well, actually, it was a CEO, but it was a wholly owned subsidiary. So it was a CEO that they had a couple other people, short-lived leadership at that level within their subsidiary division. And in both cases, people came in, rah, rah, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and nothing changed. In fact, they continued to kind of 
sink. And it was a pretty bad situation. And so this new person came in and she effectively said in an all-hands address early in her tenure, this is the problem, or these are the problems that we have to address. She was very clear. This is what's going on that we need to fix. And if we fix them, I think we're going to really be a strong company and I'm committed to doing it and I'm committed to doing the work to do it. And then in the months following that, a lot of people were saying, oh, here we go again. Although she was much more clear about you know, her statement of her declaration of support for and commitment to, she actually did. She did the things that everybody had, <laughs> all the people in the company knew needed to happen, which included making some cuts, realigning some reporting structures, all these kinds of things that actually made a difference. So that's where being clear about priorities, this is a priority for me, I'm going to do it. Take action. I think it's a really important one, whether we're leaders in an organization helping to set clear direction and priorities, or I'm also, as you were just sharing the story, thinking to myself about self-trust and the enemies of sincerity that we do to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole other, but I'm just planting that seed because I think this rings true to what are the commitments we make to ourselves and are we sincere about them? What are the priorities we make to ourselves and are we sincere about them? Yes. Yeah. That's a really good point. <laughs> and something that I need to keep in mind in my own life. I think I'm hearing you say something similar for you. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So the next enemy is confusing what you aspire to do with what you actually can do. This is one that I've tripped over. I know other people, clients that have tripped over this one and friends talking about how you aspire to be or do something as if people can expect it from you when you are not yet really capable. You're not yet capable or ready to do it. And in some ways it touches on the trust in the domain of competence. Mm -hmm. You aspire to be able to do something that you're not yet competent to do. But if you talk about it as if you can, and then you fail, that's going to really damage trust. It's going to damage trust in the domain of competence. We can see that. But it's also going to damage trust potentially in the domain of sincerity. You weren't really honest with us about what you could do, were you? You weren't really straight about how much you could accomplish or how much you understood or the time you had available. Yeah. This one... I think there's a shade of gray here <laughs> that I want to point to. And this is one that bit me in the ass earlier this year. And I think it came as a result of my generosity, my desire to help people and to extend and say yes to things. So I said yes to a project that I could absolutely do. And I really wanted to do it. So it was rewriting some curriculum around leader as coach. So something that's super passionate, I'm really interested in. What I didn't realize until I sunk my teeth into it was that it would be me sitting in my office by myself with a bunch of leadership books and research and data and a computer alone. And so in the moment of saying yes, in sincerity, sounded like a great idea. I had to tell you, I really struggled with that one. I really, really struggled with that one. 
to get it across the finish line. And so there's just also this nuance. It's not necessarily that you aspire to something that you can't do, but are you 100% committed and do you know what you're getting into? Which I thought I did. But I really had to push myself to get it across the finish line. I would have damaged trust so much more if I had not seen that through from a competence, a reliability, a sincerity, and even a care perspective. Yeah, I've had that happen before. In fact, when I was writing the first edition of the Tin Book of Trust, I got to, oh, we were about three quarters of the way done. And my editor had sent me back a fairly long chapter with a whole bunch of red ink in it. And there was a deadline that we had agreed to. And I totally aspired to achieving that, meeting that deadline. And there were other things that, first of all, I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to write a thin book. Most of the red was like, cut this out, cut this out, cut this out. We need to make this shorter. And that's hard for me. I aspired to do it, but realized that that was really difficult and challenging for me as a writer. And then on top of that, I was trying to do other work, right? I have other client work. And so it kept slipping. And I almost totally destroyed the trust that my editor and the publisher had in me around getting this thing done. So it was definitely where a place where I needed to say, I'm having trouble. Here's the trouble I'm having, the difficulty. I may have to renegotiate the commitment I aspire to. You notice how these are like kind of overlapping these different domains of trust. In the domain of reliability, being able to say, look, I commit to this. I aspire to it. This is what I want to do. I'm genuinely, sincerely wanting to do it. And I'm realizing that I can't do it because X. So there's a range of situations. One is I aspire to it, but not really strongly. It's not like a high priority thing for me. It's something that I'd like to do. I need to really be clear that that's the status for me. If I talk about it as if I really do want to get there, other people are going to, again, have expectations. The other end of that spectrum is I really do want to do this. And so I say it and declare it and make it a priority and do this. And still, I run into things that make it really difficult to do. So again, I have to be very careful about the expectations I create. And if I need to change expectations for people, I need to do that. So let's move on to another one that we've both run into. I just talk about it as speaking from different sides of your mouth. It's sometimes we say something to some person and then we appear to contradict what we've said when we talk to somebody else. There's some different reasons for that. You may not see any obvious contradiction between what you say to person A and what you say to person B. I've fallen prey to that one. You may not be able to say everything to one person that you can say to another one for some reason. You may be constrained <laughs> either by your own perceptions about the situation or because you have prior commitments to yet other people. And so you can't say everything, be completely transparent with person B. So you tell them part of it. And it sounds then if they run into person A, Sounds like you haven't been straight with them. Something changes. When we talked about this one in a moment, something changes between the time you talk to one person and the time you talk to another. We talked about that a few minutes ago, and that does happen often. 
And then there's always your desire to please by being agreeable and not having to deal with somebody who's upset because this is what I'm telling them. Even though I've told person A this, I get over to person B and I feel like, oh God, they're going to really be upset. This can really hurt their feelings. It's whatever it is. So I just kind of soft pedal it or I don't say anything at all, or even maybe kind of say it as if it's more to their liking. <sighs> oh, we'll get to your priority. Yeah, I'm going to get to your priority. Using the same words with different people. And if I am constrained in some way from an external source, I can say that. And I think that most people will believe and understand that, especially if I have a decent reputation as being sincere, being honest. I will tell you as much as I can tell you. And if I find that I can tell you more later, I will. Of course, as we said before, if I change my mind between conversations with two different people, I need to go back to the first person and let them know. The last one is a tough one. Having somebody feel good about you in the moment you know, feels good, right? <laughs> I can see you kind of cringing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If someone feels good about what you're saying in the moment, that feels good. Yeah. But that's always going to come back to bite us. Yeah. I'm thinking actually of a conversation I had this morning and someone who with the positive intelligence saboteurs, I think we've mentioned that before, and I call that the itty bitty committee. One of her strongest ones is people-pleasing. And so she'll often withdraw, acquiesce, shut down because she doesn't want people to think that they don't like her. She doesn't want to be on the receiving end of not being liked. And how often that actually means that she's being shades of insincere or inauthentic or not entirely truthful because her desire to be liked and to please others is more important. Yeah. And the trouble that that gets her into over and over and over again. Yeah. And it's kind of the same as the impulse to help, to be helpful and make offers or say yes when, in fact, if you really think about it, this person asks you to do something and you, oh, you know, I really can't do this, but I want to be helpful. I don't want to be seen as someone who can't do this or is not helpful. So I'll say yes. And pretty soon I'm either working all day and all night to get everything done or things are falling off the plate and people are beginning to distrust me. Here's something that I think is really important is that distrust, or let me turn it around. Trust is a far more important commodity or currency in work relationships than being liked or even being approved of. Trust and respect are two at the very top of our work relationships that allow us to get things done, get things done well, effectively. So it's much more important to err on the side of what's going to build trust in the long term than err on the side of what's going to have people like me. This is so interesting that you said that, because as we were in this conversation, same person, I asked her what her values were, stability, trust, and respect. And so her behaviors were driving her to get those things, not realizing that her behaviors 
were actually causing her to be in situations where she was jeopardizing. Yeah. That's called a competing commitment in the words <laughs> of Robert Keegan. Robert Keegan. Talks about our unconscious competing commitments to what we're actually explicitly committed to. Another enemy of trust in the domain of sincerity is telling probable truths. In the moment when somebody wants something from you right now, some information from you right now, and you want to, of course, because everybody's trying to get stuff done together really quickly, you want to oblige. You might think, you know what? I'm pretty sure these are the data. This is the price that we put in the offer. I'm pretty sure that this many people have come through our website or whatever it is. But we don't say that sometimes. We fail to say the I'm pretty sure part. We simply say it as if it's true. Because, my God, it's almost certainly true. Almost certainly. Almost. And, you know, if it isn't, we can come back and fix it later. And so that person goes off and acts on what we told them. And somewhere along the line, if it wasn't, if it turns out that it's not accurate, it's not true, they're going to be upset. They're going to begin to suspect our honesty, especially if, again, if it happens multiple times. This is one that bit me a few times when I was working in companies because I have a terrible head for data. It just doesn't stick. So I have to write things down. And if I don't have it written down, it just might as well not be there. Now, I might have a fairly accurate, kind of close to the mark, you know, <laughs> idea, but I would say it as if it were true, like I described a moment ago. And people, would, you know, I got bit by that a few times before I figured out that I just can't do that. I can't let myself say that. I have to say, I think it's X, but I have to go back and find out for you. So if the person comes back and means, oh, just give me an estimate, then I'm fine. Or I'd say, if you want an estimate, here it is, but I can't tell you to the penny or even to the nearest <laughs> half a million dollars. So let's be clear about what you need from me. And I may need to go take a few moments and go get it. You know, there's the other thing too about, again, we're in a hurry. We want to get this done. We want to give them what they need. Clock's running, pressure. And so we just say, yeah, it's this. There's a different variation of how this showed up for me as a mom. And I remember Rowan would have been probably five or six. I was working from home. I had some pretty big deadlines. He's like, mom, can we go to the park? Mom, can we go to the park? Mom, can we go to the park? And I looked at him and said, maybe, knowing full well. In my heart, in my head, in my body, it was a hell no because I couldn't make it happen. I couldn't do it all. And he went away and came back a little while later, and God love our children. They're really great teachers. He's like, Mom, it's okay just to say yes or no. And I had planted the maybe because I didn't want to disappoint him. I didn't want to say no. And yet providing that kind of truth, there's a possibility. But knowing in my own body there was, it was a hell no, it wasn't going to happen. But just saying the yes or no made it so much easier for him to go and navigate and figure out something else. Yeah. It was a really good, I mean, a moment that I won't forget and how trying to protect them from disappointment. Yeah. 
really did disservice to our relationship, that yeah. it was so much easier and clearer for both of us to just say yes or no. Yeah. Sometimes in the same vein, this probable truth sort of thing, saying something like your boss is asking you, did you call so-and-so? And you haven't yet, but, you know, you can get to it in the next hour. But you don't want to disappoint your boss or have your boss think that you haven't done it because this is the third time your boss asked you. And so you say, yeah, I have, thinking I'll fix this. After lunch, I'll have time to call this person. I'll make it true in the future. And sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. When it works out, okay. You have to look at your own sense of integrity around that. If you do that enough, often enough, your own sense of integrity around yourself is going to suffer. That's not good. Uh -uh. But also, eventually, it's all going to catch up to you, most likely, and people will begin to say, you know, you can't really trust that person. Well, can you imagine being caught in that? And whatever circumstances would bring that together, that the boss actually knows Although you've said, oh, yeah, I did it, but the gap between I did it, I said I did it, and I'm about to do it, that your boss finds out you actually didn't. Like, I, oh, my God, I would be mortified. I would wish for the grounds to open and swallow me up. That would just, oh, my gosh. And yet we risk that. Yeah, sometimes we do. And it's, again, it's I don't want to look bad. I don't want to disappoint. Disappoint. I don't want to look bad to my boss. I don't want to whatever it is. I've been on the other end. I, you know, have been on the end of it where somebody did something like that to me as a boss. And this is somebody reporting to me. And I had a hard time trusting that person going forward for a while. And he knew it. And he really worked to build back my trust in him. To his credit, he realized that he'd really screwed up. Anyway, so you were about to launch into the last one. Omitting and withholding. Tell more. I've got all sorts of scenarios kind of running through my brain where I have absolutely omitted or withheld information or data or part of the story for a myriad of reasons. And as I say that out loud, it just feels ick. Or being on the receiving end and finding out there's been something pretty critical or important that I haven't known about that someone has withheld or omitted from me. Yeah. And sometimes we do it because we don't, you know, genuinely, we don't think this is useful information or relevant. Mm -hmm. And often that's the case. How many times as someone from one level of the organization, like an engineer who thinks all of this information is relevant and puts it all in their 30-slide deck to present to the VP, and the VP is going, oh, no, I don't want no. all that. Please omit all that stuff. So there's that side of it. But the other side of it is when we omit things, either A, because we genuinely don't think they're useful, but we haven't asked, we haven't checked on that, or in some way it's information that doesn't make us look good. Oh, I'll just leave that out, that little piece of the story out. Yeah, I'll just gloss over that. Gloss over that. It'll be fine. Yeah, nobody will notice that. Or, you know, we're trying to protect someone else. That's our rationale anyway. We're trying to protect either the other person we're talking to or some other third party. But the 
point is really that when we do that, people will usually end up discovering. In an organization, people talk to each other, strangely enough. Although it's getting, <laughs> it's getting less likely that water cooler conversations will out us. Yeah. Because people are working from home and those water cooler conversations don't happen so often, but don't count on it as being a way to avoid this particular enemy of trust. Really take the time to understand, first of all, understand your audience. I had to do something with the bank the other day in order to be able to accept credit cards. I haven't had anybody need to pay me with a credit card for a really long time, but I was doing business with an agency in the U.S., federal government. So I tried to get it set up and they told me that I needed to do a KYC remediation. And I said, what is that? And he said, it's know your customer. KYC, know your customer. Okay. Makes yep. sense. I really love that. KYA, know your audience. KYC, know your customer. Know who it is you're talking to and what their needs are. Then you can determine much more accurately what they need to know and what they don't necessarily need to know or don't want to know. My mother-in-law, bless her heart, when she gives directions, it's so full of extra information that by the time she's done, I have no idea where to go or how to get there. So knowing what people actually need in order to get where they're going, and that requires knowing them. And sometimes it requires, hey, asking. Imagine that. Yeah. Here's what I'm inclined to give you, but ask if there's something that seems to be missing or make the offer. I have this other, do you want this out of data? Or even a day or two a week after a conversation, when we realize there's data that would be helpful, come back to say, so I realize this may be helpful. Would you like me to share this with you? I think it would be helpful. Do you think it would be helpful? Yeah. So we have a chance to go do over, expand on, and not live in the, oh, well, I didn't give it, so now I can't. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting story, isn't it? Yeah. Ooh, I've already omitted that. I'll look bad if I go back and add it now. I can't give it to them. I'll just keep it omitted. So there's underneath all of this, especially in the domain of sincerity, because we're dealing with the actions of honesty, the actions of integrity, of walking our talk, really taking a look at ourselves and what's important to us, kind of in a sense, back to our priorities, but in a bigger sense, what are our values? What do we value? Do I value being honest? Do I value other people being honest with me? And do I want to be honest with other people? And making that an anchor. Do I want to walk the talk? Do I want to actually act in accordance with what I say? So I sometimes think about this as a moral decision that we need to make before the behavior part of trust building that comes into play. I want to be worthy of other people's trust. I want to be looked at and known for my honesty and my integrity, making that kind of fundamental moral choice, and then looking at the behaviors that can either damage it, which is we've been talking about some of them here. Mm -hmm. What are those behaviors that can actually damage it? And what are the behaviors that can build trust around my honesty and my sincerity, including going back and acknowledging mistakes or acknowledging, you know what, I don't think I gave you all this information. Or, hey, the other day I told you X and really 
I should have said why, or any of those kinds of things that can build or strengthen people's perception of our trustworthiness in the domain of sincerity, which is really important in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Care and sincerity, it forms the context in which all of the task activity that we do and the other two domains of trust, which are reliability and competence, they're related to content. Content. But this context piece, the context we create around ourselves and in the relationships that we have is anchored in our sincerity and our care. One of the questions that I ask teams and organizations that I work with in the domain of sincerity is, have you ever been on the receiving end of insincerity? And everyone, of course, raises their hand. We know what it feels like. It feels ick. We don't ever want to be on the receiving end. And so this is also an invitation for us to check our behaviors and to be more intentional to make sure that we're not delivering that experience unintentionally to those that we work with, we lead, we love, we parent. Yeah. And it's such a visceral experience when someone's being insincere with us. We know it. We may not be able to name it, but we know that there's something, something's off. Actually, insincerity, I think, is something that our bodies, I'm saying this, but my body telegraphs the truth, the real message. Yeah. When your son says, can I go to, can I go to, can I go to, you say, maybe. Your son, what do you think prompted him to come back and say a yes or a no is okay? Was it that he was really wise or was it simply that he could read your body? Oh, for sure he could read me. Yeah. For sure he could read me. Yeah. And we all can do that. We all look at, see somebody and we can immediately or almost immediately spot incongruence. Now, we may not know that that's what we're seeing. And it may actually just be this really something off about this. There's something that doesn't sound right or seem right, but we can't really put our finger on it. But even that creates a sensation that where we want to shut down, we want to distrust, we're suspicious somehow of this person yeah. and or what they're saying and doing. So we've been talking about enemies of trust in the four domains of trust and specifically behaviors, things we all have done, maybe most of us have done. I'll own that I've probably done all of them at one time or another. Ditto. But they're things that we do, and we do them in part because we're not paying attention. So when we stop and think about it, we wouldn't do it. And that's what I think is part of what we want to get across the bridge here. In order to avoid any and all of these enemies of trust, these tripwires that can create distrust in our relationships at work and at home and everywhere else. We need to be intentional about wanting to build trust and maintain it. And we need to pay attention, pay attention to what we think, what we say, and what we do. So with that, we will leave you with hopefully some new ideas and things to think about. We'll be back next week with another episode on something. Another juicy one. Yes. In fact, I think what we want to talk about is the five myths of trust. That'll be a good one. And as always, we'd love to hear from you about sincerity and anything else related to trust. 
experiences you're having, situations that you would like some help with, some support with, please email either myself, charles at insightcoaching.com or ila at bigchangeinc.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Ila. Thank you, Charles. Take care.